0: Hello and welcome to the View from the Byline, a podcast with a twist as we delve deep into the industry of journalism, exploring the story behind the stories. I'm Matt Lee and as always I'm joined by Pete Trefanovich and Alex Brinton. How are we boys? Keeping well?
1: Yeah, good thanks Matt. Not too good weather
0: here but still doing alright.
1: Yeah, I'm doing alright thanks mate. Just ticking over really.
0: Good to hear. Today we take an alternative look at the media industry as we welcome chief football writer at the East Anglian Daily Times, Stuart Watson. Stu, how have you been finding work under lockdown?
2: Yeah, not too bad, thank you. I'm uh, I'm on furlough now, so I I worked the first few weeks of it. Um, just trying to do a few nostalgic bits and, and interviews with former players, but um, like all companies, they're trying to uh, find a few savings. So. Um, they were looking for a few volunteers, so I'm on furlough now till till the end of May, and uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, um, things will start returning to some, some normality then, but uh, who knows.
0: Yeah, so it's excellent to have you on the podcast. As with each of our guests that we have on here, we always start off with three quick fire questions, as we like to call them. So, when did you first realise that you wanted to become a journalist? Um,
2: do you know what? I... I can't put my finger on when, but very, very early, very early. I was someone that just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, going right back to even when I was starting to pick my options early in school, probably, you know, I think it was around year nine, you start to sort of pick which um, subjects you want to do. And, and I picked sort of media studies and was tailoring things towards English and stuff like that then. And um, so, yeah, um, I always had it quite early in my mind that that's the route I wanted to go down.
0: And if you could cover any historical event that's happened, which one would it be?
2: Um, fo- football is my sport, so uh, the obvious one would be to talk about the '66 final, you know, something like that. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, other sports as well. So um, some of the epic Ryder Cup meetings over the years, um, Medina. Um, Stuff like that, I'm into, I'm into my golf as well.
0: And looking back on your career now from the position that you were in, is there a piece of advice that you would have given to your younger self?
2: Um, good question. Um, <laughs> uh, what would I say to myself? Um, just, I mean, part of me wishes that I'd, I'd had a chance to do some of the news journalism. I went straight into sport which is is quite unusual really a lot of people tend to go into news first and then and then sort of migrate across from there so part of me wishes I'd I'd had a little bit of time on on that just to kind of hone some general journalism skills going into that but um, yeah just just uh, keep an open mind going into it really and and, um, you know don't don't be too niche with the the areas that you want to cover be want to be a journalist first and foremost and then and then the you know the the hobby and the passion will will come through from that from there
0: so you mentioned there that you went straight into the sports side of journalism but what was your background prior to that which university did you go to did you study journalism there as well
2: yeah I did a journalism degree at Bournemouth Um, it's a multimedia journalism course down there so I remember sort of looking around at various different unis and that one had um NCTJ qualifications attached to it and um, I had a lot of people working within the industry that were were, um were lecturing there and stuff so that that was a big draw for me so yeah did my three years down at Bournemouth um and then my first job was literally straight after I graduated was here at at the newspaper really and I I didn't expect to be here as as long as I have been but um I've managed to kind of keep keep changing job titles as as I've gone along and um, that's kind of led me to where where I am now doing the Ipswich Town stuff.
0: Now we're all first year journalism students at Nottingham Trent, that's a course that's also accredited by the NCTJ, do you think that that role of the accreditation in getting those fundamental media skills is still an important role within Mm -hmm. education and giving you that background?
2: few years ago when people were doing work experience and people were asking me that I you know I was adamant that make make sure you get your NCTJs, make sure you still get your shorthand and your law and all those bits and pieces um, but it, there's no doubt that it's it's changing now what people are looking for there seems to be you know for the first time in a long time in, in the last few years I would say that doesn't seem to be a prerequisite on CVs anymore. You know, before I would say without those, your CVs going straight in the bin. But now, um, probably the academic side of things doesn't seem to be as important now. Um, and even, you know, even when I first started out, you had to have that. But then you needed something on top in terms of obviously going out there and getting some work to stand out from everyone else. But now I'm seeing people come into it from, you know, no journalism background at all um it seems to be if you can build some social media following and you you know if you can get your own blog to take off or your own website to take off and stuff like that that seems to be just as highly valued as you know the traditional academic stuff that goes with it
1: can I ask uh, sorry Matt but um can I ask whether you talked about shorthand do you use that a lot in your sort of role as a sports journalist now
2: um I wouldn't say a lot um um Obviously now with with we to phones and yeah. phones in general um, I do tend to transcribe everything that we do, so if it 's a press conference, certainly if it's um, a press con- an open press conference you've you got to make sure that you your word perfect with your transcription really so I will kind of painstakingly transcribe from that um, for that reason, but recently you know during this lockdown period i've been doing a lot more stuff over the phone. Um, and that's where the shorthand's come in, in handy yeah. to, to be able to do that. And um, when you're writing up your own one-on-one interview and you've got, a certainly if you've got a relationship with, with the interviewee, uh, I've always, one piece of advice that was given to me is that your job is to write what the interviewee is trying to say, not what they're actually saying. So sometimes you can, you can, you can change the quote slightly as long as it's in good you know, as long as it's nothing too controversial and it's in, um, it's in their interests, then, you know, it doesn't matter if you're not, you're not word perfect with your shorthand. But it's certainly lapsed a little bit, mine I would say. It's been a long time since I did my shorthand exams. But as you guys will know, you kind of form your own, your own version of shorthand and um, it's, it's enough to get me by.
0: <laughs> so you joined the East Anglian Day Times in 2006, I believe. Is that correct?
2: That's right, yeah. yeah. So research. how...
0: How does the newspaper look different now in comparison to when you first joined?
2: Um, the, the industry as a whole has changed massively in that time. Um, down the multimedia route, I mean, that was still very... The, the course that I did, multimedia journalism, was was quite a new thing at the time. But um, obviously, the, the big change is now going down the route of a lot more. Audio podcasts have, have become huge. Um, Video stuff is, is massive now, so you know I started out very much just as a, as a written journalist, but um, you're now expected to to do a bit of everything really. So I'd say that's the, the biggest change, being able to kind of have all those different strings to you. But it doesn't matter if you work for a newspaper, a radio station, TV, you've got to be expected to uh, to turn your hand to a little bit of everything really.
1: How have you found adjusting to social media and that that becoming such an important role in being a journalist?
2: yeah that's that's been huge. I mean Twitter didn't really take off till about two thousand and nine, so again that was something that kind of you've adapted to as as time has gone on um and then that changes massively i mean twitter's been the the big one for me, but i'm I'm sure there'll become a time where something else kind of takes over from from that um so it's just kind of adapting and um using all of that it certainly brings its own pressures in terms of in some ways, technology makes the job easier because, you know, when I first started out, it was before we even had laptops that we could take out to, to cover events. So um, I remember filing the sort of the, the green and runners where the green and used to be the paper that you could pick up literally on, your, on the way home from the game on a Saturday night. And that, that, that copy was filed over the phone. So I'd ring up a copy taker and just dictate my copy over the phone and somebody else would be typing it down the the other end, obviously. So now with technology, you can just sit there and and, uh, write on your laptop, which is great. But but on the flip side of that, social media brings its own pressures of just kind of always being tuned into the job 24 seven and, Never really being able to kind of switch off, really. And obviously, if a story breaks at two in the morning, then you have the capacity to to put that online. Then, you know, it's not a case of I oh, will worry about that in the morning. So, um, pros and cons, I guess, to, to the way that technology has changed things.
0: You've covered Ipswich for the majority of your time at the paper. Have there been any standout individuals, players or managers that have been particularly easy to work alongside or, on the other hand, particularly difficult as well?
2: Um, I was thrown in at the deep end really because my first sort of dabbling with Ipswich was Roy Keane so um, I've had quite quite the grounding in terms of managers that I've worked with. I, I flew out to Portugal and did um, an interview pre-season with, with Roy Keane and that was kind of where I was doing a, mainly Colchester but bits of Ipswich um, but yeah, even at Colchester someone like A.D. Boothroyd was quite a high profile manager during the time that I was covering Colchester. Um, Paul Jewell could be um, hard work at, at times. Um, and then Mick McCarthy, you know, a top guy, very easy to work with. But certainly if, you know, he made you think about your interviewing technique. If you uh, if you said things at the wrong time and in the wrong way, you'd, you'd certainly know about it. So um, I guess I've kind of been fortunate to work with some big, big characters in terms of managers that have um, helped me adapt my interviewing technique I guess as time has gone on
0: and we've seen with some press conferences such as Roy Keane's one with the phone going off where sometimes the journalists can end up on the hot end of some comments towards them have you ever found yourself in that position or similar?
2: Um, I think the one that springs to mind is probably uh, there was a Mick McCarthy one post a Leeds game where it was a draw and I had an absolute nightmare Technology-wise, that night I'd um, you, you write to the fight to the final whistle. The deadlines are so tight on evening games, so I was just about to file my copy. Um, other side of the stadium, so logistically, sometimes you've got to run down so many flights of stairs out the stadium, round the other side to get to the press room. I'd done all of that. Got, got to where I needed to be for the press conference, opened my laptop and file had corrupted. I'd had a nightmare. So I had about 10 minutes to, to rewrite my match report. And then in, in walked Mick McCarthy. And I hadn't really prepped as well as I should do in terms of questions. And I think my opening gambit was... Um, Mick, some people might say that was two points dropped. And uh, that was, uh, that you might remember the, the quote was, uh, well, some some people can fuck off was the uh, reply <laughs> to that. So, um, he, he hated any kind of question that was some people are saying or some fans are saying because he felt that that was you giving your opinion but hi- hiding behind fans as an as excuse of that. So a very quick, that was a lesson learned that day, not to use uh, some people just... I prefer it if you're honest and just come out and just say it as if it's your own opinion.
0: Now talking of interviews, you did the first one with Marcus Evans, the first media, uh, external media interview that he did. What was it like talking to a man that very few seem to know about?
2: Yeah, uh, nerve-wracking because, you know, obviously he hadn't done anything for, for a decade really face-to-face um, properly. So only a handful of people had met him, but... I've met enough people over the years that that knew Marcus and they all told me, you know, he, he will be great. We've all been telling him to do more media stuff. So people have put my mind at ease. I think when you first walk in, you're expecting him to be some kind of cartoon Bond villain who was going to turn around in his chair, stroking a cat, you know, Um, but, uh, he was fine. You know, he was, he was great. And, um, I think the biggest frustration with that interview was I you know I knew it was going to be a long time till I got another interview with him again if ever and the first answer he gave was this sort of epic monologue of about 20 minutes where you know he just wanted to to get across everything that he wanted to say but it it was pretty dry stuff about the you know general day to day running of the football club and you know you you're itching to get into the meat of all the stuff that that people want to want to ask um but you also didn't feel like it was good etiquette to kind of interrupt so um that was a good experience that uh, you yeah, again a lot of prep went into that and you you're wanting to kind of cover as broad a range of subjects as possible, but on the flip side of that you you want to make sure you drill down into you know certain subjects with two three four follow-up questions to to really sort of cover all of that so um that that was a really good experience yeah that was a big one for me.
0: So, um, it oh, Matt, if you want to, I was going to say. So, how long often can it take to prepare for an interview? Are you doing it in much of the days beforehand?
2: Um, not certainly not for like the managerial press conferences because they come so quickly. Um, you know, the, as time has gone on, I've kind of probably done less prep for for the interviews. I think when I first started out, I would. You know, painstakingly sort of write out questions and make make sure you know I had a certain order to things. Um, whereas now I kind of do things a little bit more off off the cuff um, as time goes on. But um, yeah, I think I think a little bit of preparation sometimes is good. I mean, I I tend to these sort of open press conferences with managers. There's obviously a natural order in terms of broadcast media lead the way you know so we will do a good 10 15 20 minutes with with the radio first and then sometimes if sky or bbc or itv are there they'll they'll kind of follow up from there so by the time the written guys come to the table you've you've kind of scratched off most of your questions that you you would have planned to ask so my, my prep is tends to be trying to think of things that others aren't gonna ask the the non obvious questions or certainly thinking about or picket you know mentally taking a log of things that have been answered but perhaps not to the depth that that they could have been. So it's more about just returning to subjects but but trying to sort of drill down a little bit further in into them sort of thing. So yeah.
1: So your audience is obviously quite specific for a lot of Ipswich fans probably so do you feel that you have to get something different from what the other media outlets get? Yeah, there is that. I mean, um, I know
2: speaking to guys, you know, the, the guys that cover Norwich and they've obviously covered them at various different levels. And I think that the higher, that would become a bigger factor, the higher the club is that you, you follow. So, because there's just a lot more interest surrounding the club. Um, whereas with which at the moment in League One, uh, even in the Championship to, to a certain degree, the, the level of interest in them, and I don't know whether it's because they're, geographically where they're based but there might only be three four five people turning up to the to the press conferences so there's not that mass scrum to get the same stories Um, but yeah like you know as you say you you still want to get something different to everybody else so um, we've certainly taken and I've certainly taken more of an approach that we're putting less emphasis on these press conferences because they're open. So no matter how good your questions are in those, everybody's gonna get the same response. So, you know, I could I could come up with a great question, but unless someone's watched the video or or listened to the audio, if they read it as a piece of written conf content they're not going to know where that's originated from so in order to get more of the exclusive content it's the it's the stuff that you're doing in between the press conference days and in between the match days where you where you can kind of come up with your own exclusive stuff and that's where the value of contacts is uh is still massive really that 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 has always been and always will be the most the most important thing i think for me is um building contacts and maintaining contacts because that's where your stories will come from
1: what does really a normal match day entail for you then, Stuart, from the moment you sort of leave uh, your house to press and send on that sort of final bit of copy?
2: Yeah. Um, Want to get there two hours before kickoff ideally. Um, not always possible with away days, depending on how your travel's gone or whatever, but certainly home games, I try and get there at least two hours beforehand. Things don't really start getting busy <clears throat> until the team news is out at two o'clock so I use that sort of first hour just to do a little bit of networking normally and just um, catching up with guys you don't you you know you bump into a whole range of people from the minute you you sign in with your press pass uh, to getting to the press room just walking down corridors you you bump into various different people and um, it's amazing where that kind of leads in terms of just building those contacts you know it's just getting to know someone just through a five minute chat once a week can lead to something six months further down the line in terms of just building that trust with someone. So that first hour might seem like quite a quiet hour, but it, it can be quite, you know, it can be quite important. And then obviously once the team news is out, that's when everything sort of clicks into gear really. So, um, you know, first and foremost, doing everything on social media, we, our sort of live blog that we run on the website is just kind of fed directly from mine and my colleague's tweets at the game. So that looks after itself. Um, and then, yeah, just during the game is is pretty frantic, really. You've got various different screens open. Um, I'm lucky now that, you know, my colleague um, Andy Warren and I have kind of split our our duties up a little bit. We've changed that, you know. Uh, so he he will look after the live match report, which enables me to, um watch a little bit more of the game because to be honest uh, you can end up feeling a little bit fraudulent when you're writing a lot of comment and opinion pieces you know um five five observations on the game and then a, a big verdict piece 24 hours later and yeah. sometimes you don't feel like you're watching a whole <laughs> great deal of the game because your head's down you, you know you're trying to tweet you then trying to write your match report and um you're reliant on the, the noise of the crowd to, to know when to look up. You know, we all look after each other in, in a press box. Um, you might all be competing for, for various different newspapers and whatnot. But, you, you know, if you miss something in the game, then, you know, generally we'll all kind of help each other out. Who, who played that part, who who got the assist and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we kind of changed the way we worked a little bit so that I can actually watch a little bit more of the game. Because I just... That that's a big change going back to what's changed is, is a lot more uh, opinion and comment and stuff mm. now, because um, that's what sets us apart from everyone else. That is, you know, everyone gets the same access to the, to the press conferences. We can't just ring up players like, yeah. you know, t- going back 10, 20 years ago, uh, my predecessors would be able to just ring up the manager, ring up the players. Um, we don't have that now. So the only thing that sets us apart from anyone else is, is our comment and opinion so um that's been a big change definitely Is
0: there anything else people wanted to add on that topic of match day
1: Not exactly no i think it's uh,
0: i mean you you've mentioned that one example when you were at leeds with the issue of your um match report corrupting what is the procedure when that kind of thing happens are you frantically on the phone to people back in ipswich saying i don't know whether i'm going to fill the page
2: um i've certainly learned to triple back up everything now um we're working through sort of like content management systems which work fine in an office but um once you get out on the road and you're you're sometimes working through (coughs) dodgy wi-fi or certainly the wi-fi that as soon as 20 30 people get onto wi-fi at a ground then you know connecting to our system can be can be an issue but um we have someone working kind of from, from the office, which means I can at least kind of email my copy and they can, they can run stuff in, but um, we actually now I do everything on the page. So um, everything is templated. So I'm writing the headline into the shape, making sure that 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 kind of fits the right shape. Um, Subheadings, stand firsts, everything, you know, we're, we're literally just filling, filling gaps on, on the paper now because there's far less, designers and, and um, sub-editors than they, they used to be.
0: So would you say that's something that's changed within the industry now that those coming into it as journalism students now should look to try and get a bit of creative design experience as well?
2: Yeah it can't it can't harm you've got to be sort of a one-man band really you've got to be able to do a bit of everything so yeah before I'd just as a written journalist you'd, you'd write your You'd be given your your word count of what you you know, and you'd file it, and that'll be it. And then somebody else sorts it all out. And the next day, you pick up the paper, and somebody else has made it look great on page. Now you've got to do all that yourself. So, um, yeah, the more strings to your bow, the better is what I would say.
0: Now you've covered the club for a long time, and anyone in that kind of position might have developed a slight affinity towards the club. Do you feel that yourself has got that feeling with Ipswich, and do you struggle to? Sometimes get across your opinion in an unbi- unbiased way.
2: Um, first part of that question abs- absolutely. it would be impossible not to build an af- have an affinity with a, a club that you not only cover every game, home and away, but you, you know every day you wake up, you're thinking about that football club because that is your job, and you've, you've got to find ways of covering that club. <clears throat> for two two daily newspapers, six days a week, um, it becomes a, a a massive part of your life. So of course, of course, you want them to do well because my my career is kind of wrapped up in the success or failings of, of Ipswich Town Football Club. Um, you know, I've just seen colleagues up at who who work for the same company. excuse me who cover Norwich who have have had opportunities to go and work for the Athletic for example because Norwich are in the Premier League you know that that could have been an opportunity that had potentially come my way had Ipswich Town been been there at this stage but they're not so of course I want them to do well it makes everything so much easier Um, interviewing managers players they want to speak to you over the last 18 months we've had numerous occasions where players just are refusing to do interviews post-match and press officers are virtually trying to drag them out of dressing rooms or beg them to do it um you know so it's, it's not easy when things aren't going well um so of course I want them to do well but th- does that stop me doing things in a in a non-biased way I, I don't think so I think I'm always conscious that Our readership are Ipswich Town fans and you've always got to kind of bear that in mind. That's where there's a big difference between working for a regional outlet compared to a national one. You know, the nationals can breeze in, ask what they want, write what they want and then sort off for another six months and they don't have to worry about any relationships that they've, they've kind of broken along the way. Whereas you're always kind of treading a very fine line with what we do in terms of, holding the club to account but also you know being broadly supportive of them as as our readership would expect so that that is a very specific challenge to to my job is trying to kind of keep keep everybody happy my, my editor wants me to you know you can't be so and I've gone down this route before as you, you you're so worried about balance and being fair and being objective and making sure everyone's point of view comes across that if you do that too much, things can become a bit boring and a bit grey and people don't want to read that. And then your web hits and your paper sales will reflect that. So you've got to be interesting, but you've also got to be fair. And that, that's a really, really hard balancing act. And you're never going to please everyone all of the time. Um, but, you know, that's the one thing I would kind of pride myself and ourselves on is, is kind of just being objective and, and fair, but still doing it in a kind of a punchy, interesting way.
0: Excellent.
1: Um, you spent a lot of time developing your contacts at Ipswich, and that's obviously, as you said, quite a key part of the job. If you had to move and cover another club, how quickly do you reckon you could sort of build the same contacts?
2: It, t- it does take time. To, I mean, there's a difference between getting those contacts, which I think can happen reasonably quickly if you can find yourself a few early allies. And, um, and I think having done this job for a little while football is a smallish industry a lot of people know a lot of people and um, I will have known players now that have moved on to various other clubs and I'm, I'm sure I could use my current network to you know build build a nice early sort of contact books there but if you're starting from scratch it, it does take a little while um, what takes longer is building that trust with people it's one thing being able to to call someone up have a chat but you know they don't know you from Adam and vice versa so it takes there's a lot of stuff that uh, takes time to build and there's a lot of not every phone call that I make in, in fact not many of them kind of give you an instant piece of copy and uh, sometimes I have to explain that to my editors and people above me that I'm, I'm going out for lunch today with so and so you know what what you're going to get from it well no, nothing today because sometimes you have to prove to people that you're not just a journalist who's there to you know is only interested in getting something from them yeah. there and then that day you know you've got to prove yourself to be trustworthy and sometimes they need to see that they've given you some information on two three four occasions and said that's just between us that's off the record and it's really frustrating because you've got something that you're desperate to share with everybody, but you know that you have to play the long-term game sometimes. And, you know, obviously there are occasions if, if the information was that good, you would have to find a way to run with it. But if it, sometimes you're weighing it up, like, okay, it's it's a a semi-decent story. I'd quite like to share it now, but I'm going to sit on it. I'm going to earn the trust of that person. And then hopefully in, six months a year's time they'll they'll trust me enough to be uh to come to me with something even better and um you know that that's quite satisfying when that happens
0: and what tips would you give to student journalists who are going out there trying to build that network of contacts
2: um it yeah it doesn't happen overnight and i think you know once you're into a, a job it's it's a bit easier to you know that that is your job title and they know that's what you're there for but it just happens naturally over over time hopefully and if you know hopefully you know you you're all getting into journalism because you're you're people you know you're you're a, you're a people person so that's why I wanted to get into it because I, I just love meeting new people and and naturally just getting to know people and, and that's the that's the buzz of the job for me is is meeting people and interviewing people and stuff so hopefully that just sort of comes naturally that you've, you've got that inquisitive mind. You want to, you want to meet people, you want to ask questions and it just happens over time. But yeah, just um, keep your contacts, you know, make sure you keep your contacts, booked, make sure you kind of stay in contact with those people o- over time. And uh, you'll never know when, when they'll come in handy for you.
0: And contacts are a vital part of transfer rumours and transfer window as a journalist. But how does the East in Daily Times, is- coverage of the transfer window differ in comparison to other newspapers
2: Um, we've taken a very conscious decision to do things very transparently so there is no doubting that you know we can see now live on screens second by second what people are clicking on and what people are interested in and so we're kind of led by the audience really you'll hear quite often you hear a criticism of media in general is the, you know, clickbait this. And, um, you know, th- there's a reason that certain stories get done because people click on them and people are interested in them. And that doesn't, you know, that's no different from celebrity journalism through to football journalism. People love transfer stuff. People love transfer rumours. And we can see that. So it would be silly of us not to cover every <clears throat> spit and cough of transfer stuff that goes out there, but we, we've kind of made a conscious decision to badge anything up that hasn't come from ourselves or we can't verify at all. is very much sort of badged up as Ipswich Town transfer rumour. Um, so at least, you know, we're getting the clicks onto those stories, but we're making it very clear. And then, you know, obviously we then immediately try and uh, see if we can verify them at all. Um, from there, because you know, ultimately we want we want to be a sort of a trusted source. I would rather be second with something sometimes and right than rush to be first and get something wrong. Because you can get away with that once or twice, but the readers aren't stupid. They'll they'll soon realise if you if you're getting a lot of things wrong, that erodes away at your your reputation. And um, you know, it takes a long time to build a reputation, and it, it doesn't take very long to to break one. So, um, yeah, we take that. Very seriously, <coughs> to try and get things right.
1: How does the um, so Ipswich? Obviously, a team that traditional championship club. I think that's fair to say, and can go in between champ and unfortunate in League One at the moment. How how does your readership and your sort of your amount of clicks change depending on what league they're in?
2: We definitely had fears about that. No, I'm really new to be honest because. <clears throat> They've been championship for for so long, how that would affect our readership there was um, <coughs> excuse me, there was fears that you know the the web clicks would would drop off um, they haven't really and and I kind of felt that your fan base is your fan base you yeah. know regardless of what division you're in and um thankfully that that seems to have been the case i mean I guess on the flip side, as I said earlier, there's less people covering the club um so in some ways, that makes things a little bit easier. We've, we've got a specific set of circumstances in Ipswich with <clears throat> uh, TWTD is, is a very popular fans website. So, um, you know, if, if we're in another part of the country covering a, a club like Ipswich, you would have almost sort of in League One covering Ipswich, you would have an open shot at covering Ipswich there'd be no one else really covering it to to the level that we do but here in Ipswich um, you know TWTD has got great access and um, is very comprehensive in what they do so that's another reason for us to kind of have to think outside the box and and do more than just the standard stuff
0: and you followed Ipswich for a long time are there any stadiums that stand out as being particularly hospitable with the best access and facilities
2: um People always ask about the food. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not bothered about the food to be honest. As long as the Wi-Fi works, <coughs> um, excuse me, coughing away. I'll get some water in a minute. Um, but yeah, as long as the Wi-Fi works, then that's all that you care about really is uh, is doing that. So um, obviously, Old Trafford in, in the cup was was pretty cool. Um, I remember sort of walking up the steps there for the first time, and uh, I went straight onto the radio with BBC Suffolk and. That that was that was pretty cool. Um, Villa is always very hospitable, and um, they they put on a pretty good spread at, at Villa. I uh, can get a good good tactical view of the game. Portman Road's obviously great for that, um, but yeah, there's a few grounds where you're almost pitch side, and um, I find that uh, a little you know it's, it's 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 nice from time to time because you can see the managers and. You can hear the players a little bit more, but I prefer to be be higher up.
0: Now, given the current climate that we're in, what advice would you give to students who want to build a portfolio?
2: Um, do what you guys are doing. You know, just do, do your own podcasts. Um, build, a, build a bit of a social media following if you can. Um, <coughs> find a bit of a niche. I know, you, you know, you've done some stuff with, Is it Chelmsford? You've you've done bits and pieces with, and you know, find something that nobody else is covering. You know, it's very easy to a big mistake that I see some people come straight in and uh, you know, I I just want to cover Ipswich. You know, the big Ipswich fans. uh, You've got my dream job. I want to do that, and you have to explain it. You know, it takes a few steps to to get to that level. And you know, I covered Colchester for a few years before that. I did everything but but football covered school sports days, and you know everything um but if you can find yourself a little niche and find something that people are really appreciative of you covering because no one else is doing it and that's actually probably easier now more than ever because we're covering less and less as a newspaper because um, resources are, are getting more stretched and as I said to you earlier there's we kind of follow the interest in terms of who's clicking on what and it's very clear to us that Ipswich Town is is everything to us now. We're going to be putting more and more resource into Ipswich, which means that your non-league clubs, um, your local Olympians, people like that, your local cricket clubs, rugby, are going to get less and less coverage going forwards from your traditional media outlets, which probably opens the door for you, know, you guys to latch onto that and say... I know you're not getting the level of coverage that you used to, you know, can, can I do anything for you? Can I run your website? Can I do your social media? And, um, you know, if you do that to a really good professional level, that's going to, that's going to look great on your CV. And, um, you know, you can even then go to places like us and others and say, you know, I'm doing this already. Do you want to, do you want to publish it for free? And they'll probably bite your hand off. And then, you know, before you know it, you're still starting to build a, a nice little portfolio.
0: Can I asked, sort of,
1: you talked about a bit of a niche, um, finding a niche. What would you say is the most sort of rewarding thing about um, your role as sort of a local, a regional paper?
2: Um, <clears throat> I, I like the fact, <clears throat> although it's quite challenging in terms of covering the same story, the same club day in day out. There are times, especially when obviously the it hasn't been going well on the pitch, that that can kind of grind you down a little bit, and you're thinking, how am I going to find <clears throat> a new and inventive way to put a, a different sort of slant on this this week? Um, it's also really rewarding that you kind of build um, relationships with your readers that become sort of loyal readers and people that you feel like you're actually, you know, as much as people talk about the, some of the rubbish that you can get on social media, and you can, there is a little bit of that, but I would say in general, um, I get some really nice interaction off people on, on social medias sort of, uh, that, that are really appreciative certainly people that are expats that live abroad that have moved away from the area and, and say oh you know your, your social media and your podcast make me feel like I'm still in touch with home and still kind of have got a link to, to the football club so when people say stuff like that that's probably the biggest rewarding part of the job
0: Excellent well thanks for joining us Stuart's it been really interesting to hear your viewpoint of the industry as a top-level football writer for a local paper. Next week on The View from the Byline, we'll be joined by The Guardian's media editor, Jim Waterson. So be sure to join us then by following us on whichever provider you found us on and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until then, stay safe and goodbye.